Good morning, good afternoon, and or good evening. I keep saying and all the time. This is not Dave Kale welcoming you to the Sun Film Project. People should enjoy their entire days. That's really the point. (laughs) (laughs) Or re-listen to the podcast episode multiple times. Sure, at different times of day. Yeah, We're on a loop. Yeah. (laughs) So this is Trish Lambert. Dave Kale is still on parental leave. Actually, he's now officially... Officially. Consciously on parental leave. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. He let us know today that he's on parental leave. You know, he kept saying he'd be back, he'd be back, he'd be back, and now he actually is. So, but he'll hopefully be back in two, three episodes from now. So that's good. Um, so, yeah. So, season four is wind the, as, as Marie called it, the endless season four. We're starting, we're on the downhill stretch now. That's right. So, I'm with Corey Olson, our, our illustrious host, co host. And I'm Trish Lambert, if I didn't say. And we have Marie. Marie's live with us. Marie Prosser is with us, our showrunner. Yes, Hello, Marie. thank you, Marie, for Hello. joining us and helping Thanks us out with this. Again. Yeah. Because we knew she'd be typing p- copious notes if we didn't have her on live. <laughs> so this is better because this way she can actually talk to us about the stuff. So, yeah, so we're going through um, sets, right? We're going through locations. Exactly. Sets and locations. Awesome. So this is the, you know, so we, the our post-production uh uh, stuff is uh, kind of divided into two halves. One, of course, is when we review the script discussions and scripts that have been written, as we've been doing for the last uh, last few episodes before this. And now we're looking at some of the other contributions that folks have made. People have been drawing maps, and so we've got we've got visual artwork. We have. Um, uh, we, we have music. We're going to be having a special session with Philip Menzies, the official composer of the Film Film Project, uh, who is going to be walking us through some of the new music that he's he's currently creating a, a, a YouTube uh, playlist for um, all of the the music that he has composed for season four. Looking forward to going through that with uh, with Philip next week. And then, of course, we will talk about the results of the casting voting um, to uh, see what lucky actors will discover that they have been cast in uh, in film film uh, for this year, uh, including, of course, the big reveal of who is going to get to play Glorfindel, which I know everybody's, uh, you know, that's like one of the big questions of this season. I'm going to have to hold myself back when we have that discussion. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, 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 Trish. I think you need to be very vocal when we have that discussion. <laughs> Let us know exactly. Lord Fidel and Arathin both. Don't forget. That's right. Also, that's right. Another Arathel, Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, right. Two of your your most favorite. Ca- it's Absolutely. funny that like you know you're like all about the Gondolin elves. You know, like that's, that's the true, isn't it? Yeah, I never really thought about that. I have yeah. to figure. I have to figure out if there's something about that. If there's something you know significant about that. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so um, we're, um, we're <laughs> though your favorite parts of both of their characters are the things they do outside of. <laughs> of That's true. Gondolin. That's mostly. true. Yeah, Arathel is like she left Gondolin. Right. It's one of the things I like right. about her. <laughs> and uh, and then Glorfindel outlives it. Well, sort of. It. Yeah. You know, right. Complicated way. <laughs> uh, yes and no, I guess. But uh, uh, anyway. Um, uh, so yeah, so uh, looking forward to uh, looking through uh, everybody's contributions. We as we try to sort of visualize more clearly uh, what these uh, the stories that we have been discussing, um, what they're gonna, uh, what they would be looking like here. So especially and uh, this the sets and locations are always especially fun, knowing uh, the absolutely unlimited budget that we have here at Silm Film uh, for production, uh, so that you know we just we bring in the most wonderful locations uh, for uh, uh, for all of these things. So, 
you know. Right, and who cares if, you know, like two adjoining places in Middle Earth are actually like on opposite sides of our globe, right? Exactly, we have plenty right. of money. No yeah, problem. I mean, exactly. Shooting, you know, one single episode that takes place on like four different continents in, <laughs> you know, in real world sets, but that's okay because that's how we roll at some film. I that's mean, come right. on. That's right. Uh,. It's Our GoFundMe is is limitless. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we have deep, deep pockets here at the Film Film Project. <laughs> uh, not to mention, of course, the uh, uh, the star-studded cast that we have put oh, together yeah. as well. So, Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. No, we are a very modest production, a very immodest production, honestly. <laughs> here uh, at Film Film. All right, uh, good. So we will we will get into it. Uh, a couple quick announcements, um, and uh, that is. In my announcements. There we are. Found my announcements. Um, Tax Moot is coming up soon. So we are... Um uh, text Moot is on February, Saturday, February 8th at Houston Baptist University. So we're continuing slowly to migrate south uh, in Texas. Um which is fun. We went from Fort Worth down to Waco and now down to Houston. Um uh, We can't really go too much further south. We, no, we we're 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 Galveston. starting we're starting yeah. to reach a, a southerly bound. <laughs> it is true, uh, on the uh, in the Texas front. But um, anyway, so uh, uh, so that's going to be on on February eighth, and of course, you should all come down because uh, our very own Trish Lambert is our keynote speaker, which I'm so excited about. <laughs> God, the pressure. It's got to be awesome. So anyway, yeah, so that's going to be great. So come down and join us in Houston on February 8th. Now, the registration is not open yet, but there's a really good reason why registration isn't open yet. And that is because uh, we at Signum University are getting our own custom designed registration system, which we're just finalizing putting into place. We're doing our final tests and everything on it right now. Um uh, and I, I'm I'm really excited. We've had this whole this whole thing that has been uh, uh, written up for us. So um, I, I'm it, this is the, and the very first thing that we're going to be uh, doing with it is text moot registration. Um, so uh, as soon as that is ready, within the next couple of days, here we'll be launching the registration. You can see no uh, the old registration system. So if you've signed up for any of our moots or anything in the past. It's going to be completely new and so much more streamlined uh, than the old system. You won't need a separate login that you'll probably forget and everything else. It's going to be great. Uh, So anyway, that's why we don't have the registration open yet, but we will very soon. So keep an eye out uh, on the Signum website for uh, the registration for that. And also registration for Mythmoot, which is on – which is at the end of June there, 25th to 28th. That is also – that is also opening uh, soon. So that, that will be – Texan will be the first and Mythmoot will be the second uh, thing that is going to be launched on our new registration system. Uh, so both of those things uh, will be coming up very soon. Um, all right. So let us get into – that's just the wrong way. Uh, let us get into our – uh, sets and visual concepts. So this is uh, for the Noldor encampments in Mithrim. We have some ideas for what, because we're we're going to be there for several episodes. Um, so we have a map by Harangil, who has been our our map, our, our, our the ofi- the official cartographer of Silm Film uh, for some time. Um, and so we have the two different encampments of uh, uh, the Feanorians and the Fingolfinians here, right? 
Yes, yes. So the north side of the lake should be the camp of Pengolfin, and the south side of the lake should be Magler's camp. Yeah. And um, the lake being longwise means that they're quite separated from one another and looking across the water, but not in contact. Yeah, it is really nice how that works because you can have them be plainly visible so you can be staring at each other. But but yeah, it's a long walk <laughs> around to get there. So, uh, you know, by the time you get to the other side, you've had plenty of time for second and third thoughts about your trip over there. Um yeah, I, I really like how that uh, how that works out there. Um, what are the um, so I'm seeing one of the details that uh, uh, Harangi was giving here is of an encampment that's right there at the tip, like at the boundary there. Uh, yeah, he wanted to put watchtowers okay. around the no man's land area to mm. clearly demarcate where one group's territory ended and the other began. So the idea was that they'd be maybe a an archer's distance away from one another and right they'd have you know rival watchtowers looking at each other for mm-hmm. however long this standoff lasts throughout the first episode yeah now so we're in uh we're envisioning them uh to be um um living in tents mostly during this time well that is a question for okay. you guys to consider um but we decided that the host of Fingolfin coming across doesn't have much in terms of supplies, but they probably do have tents. Right. Um, so at what point they transition from temporary structures to permanent structures? See, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that in large part, because they don't have much, they would be probably quicker to build than just subsist on what they've got or with what they've got. Right. Um, I guess it depends in part upon how we're envisioning the area, like how densely wooded the area. I mean, how how much lumber is readily available. That is, if these are mostly around the, uh, the lake meant to be sort of more open plains than tents, I would think. Um, Because they're probably not going to... This is not such a a long-term project that they're going to go on major logging expeditions to drag things in here. Um, Right. Um, We were... Last season, we discussed Mithrim being the Scottish Highlands as a set. So uh, if you think of Scottish Highlands, you don't usually think of lots of woods. Right. Not forests, Uh, really. Right, right. So there's probably wood available, but not plentiful or readily available. And again, if this is when they first get there, we don't want to show a logging expedition. <laughs> no, exactly. But at the same time, I mean, you know, one of the things, of course, that we've been dealing with all through season four is the passage of time. And even though we're only here in these encampments for a couple episodes, it's still, a you know, substantial, it's still years that they're there. Um so there's definitely time for them to build. And I think they would be motivated to build if they were there for more than a couple months. But then again, again, if there are no trees or not that many trees, it would make sense for them to have sort of more elaborate tents, but not, um, uh, but not necessarily entire wooden structures. Because they're going to prioritize using the wood that's available for their fortifications. <laughs> Exactly. So the idea of having uh, wooden barricades of some sort would emphasize that they are 
not necessarily at war at this point, but right. on the defensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, Nick, I agree. Clear cutting doesn't feel super elvish. Uh, yes. And if what would be required for them to build nice wooden houses for all of them to live in would be for them to cut down every tree within 10 miles is a little hard to uh, uh, imagine them making that particular choice. Um, yeah. Rihanna was saying the same thing about prioritizing walls over over houses. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's a question and this is slightly transitional into the next, uh, uh, slide. Um, how, well, actually, let me just save it until we get to the next slide. Um, one of the factors though, that I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about like the tent cities of the Noldor here and their encampments is, what would the characteristics of that city be? I mean, because it's it's a this is not just any old tent city. This is a Noldor tent city, right? You know, so like for instance, Roman camps were very famous for their like absolute regularity, right? Everything being exactly precise and every single Roman encampment being set up in exactly the same way so that, you know, any soldier who walked into any Roman camp anywhere in, in the world would like know exactly where to find everything. Um, you know, so uh, that was, so that, that kind of like order and predictability and like neat rows and everything was the sort of the hallmark of the, of, of the Roman camp. Um, what is the hallmark of the Noldoran camp? Because I think that, I mean, things are still going to be kind of fancy, right? Even, I mean, they are Noldor. Even, so if there, isn't, if there isn't enough timber available for them to build houses for themselves, they're going to be doing something, right? I mean, there's going to be some evidence of... Uh, of of artistry, it's definitely not going to look like a a camp of a camp of squatters, right? Um, so how right? We didn't want it to be crude. Yeah, um, it yeah. it should be artistic. Um, mm-hmm. The question was if you wanted it to look more permanent, or if you were okay with the temporary feeling of everything. I think I'm okay. I'm definitely okay with the temporary feeling. I mean, it would feel a little bit my if it looked too. So I guess it depends on what you mean by temporary. If by temporary we mean using, te- you know, non-permanent materials like tent canvas and stuff like that rather than wooden walls, then yes. If we mean temporary in the sense of like, you know, just thrown together because we're only going to be here for a little while so it doesn't matter. No, I don't think the Noldor would hmm. be like that at all. And even if they were staying somewhere only a day, right? Um so yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. think that I, I think yeah. I think Harangel was thinking more of the Roman style mm-hmm. of very structured and organized, which you can see from his layout. Yes, yes. He, he the way he put that together. Um, I know the Noldor love to build with stone, but I don't think they're going to do that here. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I wouldn't think that that's. Uh, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't think that that's how they would. Uh, they would do things there. Um, yeah, now Rihanna is suggesting that perhaps the Feanorians would be more organized than Fingolfin's people because they're slightly more militaristic. Um, uh, and also, they tended to be doing more exploring and just be out and about more uh, than 
the followers of Fingolfin. Um, so they'd just be more used to establishing camps, I think she means. Um, uh, yeah, I would be fine with that. I mean, I, I wouldn't want... Well, okay, so I guess there are a couple things. I was going to say, I wouldn't want the camp of Fingolfin to look sloppy, necessarily. But I could imagine it being different, right? That is not military neat rows, right? Um, uh, like, what if... The, and I can see, again, the... The uh, some of the details there on Harangil's map seem to suggest this as well, um, like all straight lines in the Fanorian camp, whereas like roads can kind of you know paths among the tents can kind of you know roam and wander more um, in Fingolfin's camp, um, you know more sort of you know curvy streets and uh, and 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 less of a rigid plan um even though again it's not going to be sloppy it's not just going to be thrown together um but in part that would seem to reflect i mean remember the difference one of the different you know the, there's a there are major concept differences between these two camps right you've got the one group of almost refugees right people who have just barely survived crossing the helcaraxa who are coming here in in order to recover Right. And then you've got the Feanorians who came here in good order, essentially, after having won a battle. Um, Feanor died, but they won the battle. Um, So theirs is much more uh, self-consciously a military encampment. Um, Their whole, you know, entrance into this was a military entrance. I know Fingolfin's was as well. I mean, they came marching in and banged on the gates of Angband. Uh, Not trying to downplay that. But again, we've got... um, you know, people who are limping their way from the Helcaraxa and who need to recover. Uh, so, and that's like the spirit in which their camp would have been established, if you see what I mean. Uh, so showing some ways in which their camp is a little bit more uh, haphazard. And, I, and Nick, I do agree there's somewhat less central command uh, in Fingolfin's camp. I mean, Fingolfin's personal leadership is... Uh, you know, I think fairly clear, but, but I see what you mean. I mean, there's, there's, uh, um, less of a, there's less clear of a hierarchy than there is in the Feanorians camp. Um, just because they were, of course, used to all obeying Feanor, who quite insisted upon that. Um, and Nick, I also was thinking about embroidery on the tents. I think that they, that's the kind of, because they're going to be spending, they're there for a long time, right? They're going to be spending their time doing things. And one of the things they're going to be doing, I I would have to think, would be the artistic improvement of their living quarters and their camp. You know, I mean, I don't think that elves are capable of just, you know, hanging out in squalor indefinitely until they move on to a better place, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Rhiannon points out that we can show the passage of time in some ways by this, by sort of showing the the more plain initial setups and sort of showing those, you know, so when we're, you know, post-rescue of Maedros later on, um, you know, in episode two, uh, and I'm forgetting, are, are we, episode three, we're leaving in episode three, right? The encampments? Right. Right. Episode four is the Noldor throughout Valeriant. Right. Exactly. So we've got three different episodes. So we could certainly show the different camps in like slightly 
increased state of beautification, you know, as we as we're moving along, and it, it is one way that we can show. Because I mean, certainly, uh, you know, Nick, coming back to your embroidery suggestion, right? Like, it takes some time to embroider a tent, right? I mean, that doesn't happen overnight. Uh, so, you know, a tent which is gorgeously embroidered is going to be a sign of a tent that's been sitting there for quite some time. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I, I like this. Um, um, I really like that pavilion with the star in the on the floor there in the top right-hand corner of the slide. Yeah. Yeah, I include that picture. It was in a selection of suggestions on how to do tents and encampments, specifically because it's a Feanorian star, and yeah. <laughs> because it speaks to what you were saying of they would decorate their space. So just because it's a tent doesn't mean it's right. a dirt floor. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And they and uh, you know that kind of a that I, there would probably be enough timber for them to make poles like that so that they can have a nice spread of ceiling. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to be all in, you know, two-man pup tents in rows uh, or anything like that. You know, it's going to be... They're definitely going to be able to make uh, to make more than that. This, of course, is another difference, would be another difference between uh, the Fanorians and the uh, uh, the people of Fingolfin is that the, the Fanorians would be able to have more stuff like furniture right i mean like they came over on ships they were able to bring goods uh whereas you know the people fingolfin just had what they could carry um you know and what they could conveniently bring on sleds and things like that um so they won't have much in the way of furniture and stuff inside their tents other than what they're building while they're there um so they'll have like bookshelves made out of wood planks and cinder blocks right (laughs) exactly well cinder blocks (laughs) I used to dream of having cinder blocks, you know. Uh, Their bookshelves will clearly be made out of the old sleds. Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. So, no, they will definitely be building furniture and stuff. But, again, I, it's 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 one th- one way in which I think that we can show some differences, right, and some reminders, right, of the comparative comfort that they – I mean, because it's a, it's a constant reminder of the grievance, Right, that the people of Fingolfin uh, are, you know, without lots of things that the Feanorians have. There are many comforts that the Feanorians have because they were able to sail over comfortably on the ships uh, that the people of Fingolfin don't have. So, I just I think it would be fun to include some. Uh, uh, some some details like that. And Rhiannon, there should totally be a tent devoted to all the treasure Finrod carried with him across the Helcaraxa. Yeah, Finrod needs like a like a, a vault tent, right? Or he needs to like bury it all or something. I don't know what how, I don't know exactly how he's gonna store his treasure. Uh but yes, we need <laughs> we need to have like, you know, uh like a big hole in the middle of his tent covered by a f- a false floor and a tarp uh, so that nobody knows all the treasure that is under there. I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, Rhiannon, I've never really been able to picture that. Like, how did he do it? Like, are we supposed to imagine Finrod crossing the Helcaraxa with, like, a huge chest strapped to his back? You know, like, uh, 
like one of the squires in Monty Python and the Holy Grail go around carrying, all full of jewels, right? Uh, or what? Did he have a whole entourage which is carrying uh, like big chests on poles full of treasure? Or, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, like a huge jumbo backpacks just stuffed with gems. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it means when, you know, like I, in actual practice, what it would have meant. Um, but certainly, you know, in season three, when we're doing the crossing of the Helcarax, that we do have to, I mean, I think at least one shot of Finrod, like laboring under this enormous backpack that he's carrying would certainly that, I mean, that kind of has to happen, right? Um, okay, cool. All right. Um, I like it. I think that this this bottom left palisade is really neat. I, I like that a lot. Again, and I see neat in part because it is in fact neat, right? How it's everything is is planed and smoothed, and you have um, you know actual painting and everything on the palisades. Like even the palisades are not just going to be rough logs sharpened at the top. You know, these these are going to be uh, these are going to be imposing, well crafted, and beautiful palisades that they would have. Cool. Alright, so next is uh, Amras the Nomad. So this is the issue of Amras's yurt. So here's the question I was going to ask before related to the other. Um, is the thought here, and I'm asking you guys because Amras living off in a yurt was your idea, not mine. I love, I love it, but I didn't think of it. So, um, the idea is basically, he, is he still living in the same tent? So are we going to show, is, is he living in this same yurt in the, um, in the, the, the encampment? And then it's just, he just picks up his yurt and takes it with him and, 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 and continues to live in that same, uh, that same tent or, is the yurt that he goes on to live in that we see eventually uh, near the end of season four, is that going to be an upgrade? Like something, you know, he's uh, having decided to live the dedicatedly nomadic life. He's, uh, he's up, you know, he's upped his tent game uh, for his permanent home. Um, what are you guys kind of thinking of it there? So Nick says the same ones. Okay. Okay. Right. Rihannon says when his brother's, build fortresses, Amras gets all the tents. <laughs> all the tents shall be mine! Um, yeah, okay. Alright. Alright, that's, um, uh, that's, that's good. So the idea here then is that Amras is basically literally still living in the same place where he's been ever since his brother died. Right? Exactly. The idea is that Amras has not moved on in he's any way, and yeah. he is not settling in Beleria, and he is not dedicated to this war. He doesn't have any hope for the future. He's very much stuck where he was at the beginning. So, and, yeah, and he's certainly not, uh, and he's certainly not participating in the, you know, in the leaguer, right? I mean, the, you know, he's he's, he's right. forming no part of the defense in that way, right? And we give him the opportunity to speak with Arathel and share his opinions and views. So it's not like he's simply rejecting everything, but he's mostly rejecting everything. Yeah. 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 And I like these, I, th those are some awesome yurt pictures there, by the way. Um, some really excellent, uh, uh, uh colorful, 
you know, um, decorations there. And, and, so, and he's the painter, right? So he's going to be um, – there, w- there would be plenty of painted canvas among his yurts. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So – would you th- so would his yurts would his little tent city be um be very colorful or would it be very somber I'm okay with it being colorful yeah simply because that... we want it to be an elvish tent city right right and i mean although he's you know kind of in it, it's not like we have to make him all you know hamlet in his uh you know like he 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 doesn't have to be all goth uh, or something in his you know dark attitude. Um, it's not like he just has to go in for for blacks and grays because he's all depressed or something. Um, I think we should remember that when it comes time to talk about Ale's house, she'll be pinks and blues and greens and things, right? <laughs> it's all dark <laughs> on the outside, but once you get inside, it's really lovely. <laughs> You can't leave, but it's 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 quite nice on the really inside. Colorful. Yeah, you can build a summer home there. Yeah, exactly. Feel like Nick said, Amros isn't Batman. Good point. Yeah, he, no, he's not. He's not. Um, and and you know, and Trish, of course, you're absolutely right. We do need to, you know, Amros isn't the dark elf, right? Um, right, right. Uh, and we we do need to have there be a clear contrast, even though he is. You know, sort of the uh, the downer of <laughs> of the fan or of the Feanorians and of all the Noldor, really. Um, that doesn't mean that he is. You know, Aeol is still in a different category, and right. You know, in a different. But, and also remember, I mean, you know, in Valinor, I mean, we had the Noldor. Noldor were like jewels and you know fancy clothes and all that stuff. I mean, there would still be that tendency. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Here, right? So that should be reflected, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely. Kale I definitely lives in a gingerbread cottage. <laughs> well, that's a question for season five. That's a question for season five. We won't, we won't, we won't worry about that quite yet. Uh, by exactly what means does Aeol tempt Arathel into his house? Right, she ends up eating. Like his shingle, right? Like Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> right, exactly. Deal. Yeah, that's we will. <laughs> Nick says no. <laughs> One word. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. All right. But anyway, this is great. I think that this really works. I I, I really love what you guys uh, uh, did with Amras. Nick says it was uh, uh, it was um, uh, Rhiannon's suggestion to uh, have Amras be living the nomadic life here, and I think that's a great idea. Um, okay, very good. Dorthonian, the land of pines. Okay. So, yeah, the land of pines, it definitely needs to be fully wooded. So I don't like Scotland here for that reason, for the same reason we were discussing concerning the Scottish Highlands before. Um, you don't really get it's not not as much with the dense forest uh, uh, forestation. Um, my favorite of these pictures, my favorite is the um, uh, the 
the Altai Mountains in Central Asia there, um, both because we get the 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 nice steep slopes fully wooded, but also some big mountains in the background there uh, that we can that we can plainly see because we do want that sense of the rising land of Dorthonian um, with heavily wooded slopes and then you know sort of as we look off into the distance you know rising until you can see the white top mountains down you know south of them uh i think that that's uh that's definitely good i really like this arizona picture i would never have guessed that that was arizona i've been up in northern arizona which is where i assume this is up uh you know towards the grand canyon region where you get things like trees and snow and things like that um but uh uh but i haven't seen that area um so that's uh that's 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 really fun um one thing the one thing i do like about some of the uh, about that shot there is i want there th- th- it shouldn't just be mountains right dorthonian shouldn't just be um rounded mountains right there should be uh there should be some 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 highlands you know some uh, flat land up on top of the rises that we uh, that you can get up to. Yeah, finding finding real places in the world that have all the details is so tough. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It is tough, uh, even with an unlimited budget. But um, um, but yeah, these are some these are some great suggestions. And uh, so this Siberia picture. This is so you're thinking about. Lots of wooden architecture in Dorothy, you know, when we're going to the, um, you know, to, uh, I almost said Emrod and Emros, which is just not at all right, to Ignor and Angrod's uh, places up there, um, because, of course, they're completely surrounded by forests. They're going to use a lot of wood in a lot of their architecture, right? Right. So it's available, so they would use it in the construction. We wanted it to be less heavily defended than some of the other areas. So not a lot of stone towers in there. Right. Um, defenses. And also wood is very flammable. So <laughs> right. looking forward yes. to the battle of sudden flame, uh-huh. make this go up in flames a lot easier than some other kinds of construction. <laughs> yes. Yes. And also I'm thinking back to some of the discussions, um, some of the scripts uh, from towards the end in particular the ones where the fanorians are kind of talking about how uh, you know the other noldor kind of need help and aren't as good as they are at this kind of thing that would be one interesting example right i mean if if they're looking at the you know the wooden fortifications of you know ignor and uh you know and, and angrod and being like uh guys really come on now uh we can do better than this right <laughs> Do you guys need help building stone walls? Can we do that, please? Um, you know that certainly gives some um, some sort of substance to that. Yeah, Nick says that he would think it would drive Mithros nuts. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I like that. And I I, I think that uh, you know these 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 images are really neat. The these Siberian images because I I in particular like all of the. Uh, um, the the different kinds of um you know sort of decoration and flourish that are being given to the buildings i mean we definitely want some really uh gorgeous and ornate woodwork there yeah 
Cool. I think it's an excellent idea. And yes, the flammability of Dorothonian does definitely need to be a thing. And then we have Himring, the non-flammable Himring. Um, and uh, Himring is certainly it's got to be it's got to be cold, right? We need we want snow. Hmm. The only one of those choices that's unlikely to have snow on it is the one from North Carolina. Yes. Because yes. the, the Alaska image doesn't have snow in this particular picture, but I have another picture of it. The entire <laughs> scenery there is yeah. very deep in snow. <laughs> yeah. That one is definitely my favorite one. Um, Flat Top Mountain there in Alaska. Um, because, I mean... You know, uh, a nice CGI fortress on top of that would would be excellent, right? That would work very, very. Or well. the Italian one. Imagine a fortress on top of that one. Wow. Yeah, that one does look With really cool. Cliffs. I mean, of all of the hills here, that's like the starkest and coolest one, I think. Um, but the landscape around it isn't so good. Um, yeah, that's true. We'd have to Photoshop out a lot of the you know, quaint little Italian villas and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously it could probably work. easier to Photoshop in snow on the, you know, yeah. or the Alaska one. Like that's the one you were talking about. So that would, ha- we could do it with snow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That one we'd have, uh, we, we'd have, I guess probably the challenge would be having, not having snow. Um, so I, I like the idea because him ring, having him ring being, um, a place which the, the, the primary, like seeing Himring and and being and standing on the walls, uh, you know, of of uh, Mardos's fortress on Himring, it should be the sense that it should give. I would think would be of like absolutely commanding all of the landscape around it. Um, nothing can happen here that he is unaware of, uh, and of course we would show there would be like layers and layers of of defensive positions. Um, all around that they would be able to that they would be able to man. I mean, just you should stand on Himring and look out and be like, yeah, nobody's nobody's just going to force an army through here. Um, uh, that isn't going to happen. So I like the idea of Himring being uh, sort of having something like a fortress up on top of that uh, of that hill. I think would be really. Uh, would be pre- uh, pretty awesome. Yes, Nick, of course, we could just CGI the whole hill. Uh, absolutely. Um, but I, I I really like the... Con- it's, But it's kind of nicer and easier to use actual um, uh, actual terrain. And again, the, just the way that, that you've got that, you know, the flat top mountain looking down over the lowlands before it. I mean, I would imagine that we're here, like the left-hand side of the picture would be off towards the north, basically. Um, uh, so that, you know, we're, we're kind of facing, I'm, I'm imagining, like I'm orienting myself in, in Middle Earth here, imagining that we're facing basically east-ish here, uh, seeing the east face of that hill and the, 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 the slope down to the north. Uh, is uh, what it would be overlooking, and so seeing how the the, you know, the land is all falling off in that way, I think yeah, that it clear, would, uh, clear that the castle is pointed at Angband. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, clearly. I, I I see that. Yes, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, and you know, like you see that 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 other mountain off in the distance there would clearly have a strong tower on it, uh, and there would be. I don't know that there would necessarily have to be 
whole solid stone walls that would connect them, but very likely they would be. I mean, you know, Mytheros uh, certainly would be like, you know, the Noldor most likely to build something like the Great Wall of China, right? Uh, over on his side of the of the leaguer. Um, so I could certainly imagine quite a bit of, uh, of, of, of stonework going on there. Um, yeah, yeah, no. So I think that's, that's, that's great. That's definitely, that's definitely my favorite. Um, the Norwegian one is also kind of appealing. Um, the, the thing that I like about the Norwegian one, uh, down here at the bottom, uh, is that the land around it looks more barren, Right, we've got you know a lot of green and a lot of forests there in Alaska, in the Alaska. Whereas the 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 Norwegian landscape around that hill is just like much more forbidding, which feels yeah. that that so the the landscape around feels a little bit more like I've always pictured Himring, um, very stark, so, almost desolate. So you're expecting more tundra. Yeah, a little bit more tundra. Um, but again, I mean, who am I to say like, yeah, you know, the problem with Alaska, insufficient tundra in Alaska. You know, like I'm not going to complain. Um, but uh, but anyway, you know, so I, I, I don't know that we would want to be going, you know, traveling through lush forest land, you know, right alongside. But then again, like there does need to be wood around. I mean, uh, that would be handy even when you're building stone defenses. So um either could work, but I I'm I'm the hill itself. I'm a big fan of uh Flat Top Mountain there in Alaska. It's very cool. The North Carolina one is nice, but the hill underneath the little bump on top is a little too gradual for me. I'm not saying it wouldn't be hard to march an army up there. I'm just saying it doesn't have that same like it's not as imposing. Yeah, it's not as imposing. Like castle on a crag is more like what I'm thinking of for Himring, and um, that it really should be, um, as Nick said, the most unassailable freestanding fortress in Middle Earth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just just one look at Himring, and you're like, yeah, no, we're not even going there. Like that's that's uh, that's not going to happen. Yeah, cool, cool. Very good. Okay. Oh, went the wrong way again. Okay. Keep Helivorn. All right. Uh, so this is uh, Karanthir. So this is a uh, this is a a painting by Catherine. Yes. Very cool. Okay. So he's going for the castle separated by bridge here, and we've got the lake. Um, so the 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 lake is here being envisioned as more of a. Um, not quite a tarn, perhaps, but more of a more of a mountain lake here. I think she envisioned it being larger off screen, mm-hmm. um, so that this is like a, a bend of the lake or something, right. an edge to it. Yeah, this is a wonderful picture. I think this is this is excellent, and of course, I really like the the prominent road. Yeah, I just yeah I. I associate Carinthir with roads, right? Because of the tolls and everything coming down from the dwarf lands. So, um, the, you know, it's just one thing because I associate Carinthir with roads. One of the things that this, uh, picture, uh, of, uh, keep Helivorn suggests to me is, uh, uh, you know, this is the end of the road. This is where the road ends here. Uh, you know, it winds its way up and, uh, uh, crosses the the Gulf out onto that little shoulder of rock uh, over the lake. Um, 
because it's also some this is that that's going to be a place that's going to be gorgeous as well i mean like the views from the castle would be lovely um and yet it's also going to be very very difficult for anyone to assail between the water and the uh and the the height um it would be a very difficult fortress to capture so that is a awesome picture uh many uh uh, many props to Catherine for that one. That is that is excellent. I I, I had the wonderful privilege of meeting Catherine uh, at Nadermoot last year. Um, uh, Catherine is from Switzerland, and uh, she uh, gave me a wonderful present. She gave me a, she did a a beautiful hand drawn map that she did of it's a a, a map of. Uh, the 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 Swiss walking tour that Tolkien did in the twenties, the one that inspired so many of the uh, oh, awesome. mountain scenes, um, uh, as well as uh, uh, some of his original inspirations for the Valley of Rivendell and stuff. Um, uh, so uh, she she did this wonderful map of of Tolkien's walking tour, uh, which is uh, uh, which is wonderful. I, I I just love that map. But anyway, wonderful to meet Catherine and great to see some more of her art here. Yeah, cool. Excellent. Keep going the wrong way. Okay. Barad Eiffel. Okay. Um, so I'm looking at sort of starting with Hakan's sketch here um, and seeing how he is sort of picturing this and looking at the uh, the other ma- is uh, Who made the map on the top left there? Marie, do you know? I believe it's based on Karen Fonstedt's drawings okay. it's based on the I, phone I don't know it's only based on i don't know who actually made it um okay. but it's you know from the internet right right <laughs> exactly showing the relative positions of baradithal and minas tirith there with the fens of serech okay right so yeah so barad eithel is oh i love the uh the reichenbach falls picture that is uh um like the kind of thing I definitely, I, you know, I definitely picture Barrett Eiffel clinging to the, uh, to the outside of the mountains. Um, yeah, that was a conversation that we were having on the message boards as to whether the fortress would be on the mountainside or at the base of the mountain. And, um, so obviously that, that image is very strongly <laughs> attached to the mountain. Yes. Um, so then if if it was up there the question would be is there like a city at the base or you know where's how does the water work with this and everything so well so what i've always pictured with baradithel is so the function of baradithel is it's in one sense it's not primarily a city i mean it's it's not even exactly in Fingolfin's realm, right? It's like on the outer border of Fingolfin's realm. Um, uh, And I also would think that the whole point of building a defensive position out there... um, Okay, so just backing up a second. When I ask myself, why would you build Baradithel? Like, what's the point of Baradithel? My answer to that question would be, well, if I were Fingolfin and I were building Baradithel, the reason I would want it is I would want it for a staging ground for my troops outwards, right? We have the mountains, but we 
we want to be able to know, like, so if there are armies marching across Ardgallen, we want access out there. Um, so we want a way for our, you know, to be to be able to post a strong force outside so it can respond more quickly to threats in Ardgallen. And uh, because, of course, if you have if you have your whole army, um, you know, like by Lake Mithrim, for instance, and something in, you know, uh, so say. Morgoth decides to move against Himring, right? Which would be a silly thing to do, but imagine that that's happening. Well, by the time you cross over, you know, cross your army over the Arid Wethrin and get across Argon, it's going to be way too late, right? So you want um, to be able to be, have a responsive force on the outside. But at the same time, you don't want to, uh, it would be kind of silly if you are in command of the defensive position of the mountains just to build a fortress out on the plain um, when you have perfectly good mountains right behind you know, without like they could just go around or something. Right. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that you would definitely want, that's why I've always imagined it uh, really perching on the outside of the mountains and overlooking uh, the uh, uh, the plain, because you'd also want to take advantage of the opportunity to use the elevation of the mountains uh, to be able to survey from there the widest expanse of Ardgowan that you possibly could. But again, you don't want it way at the very top of the mountains, because again, then you've got a really long descent in order to go anywhere from there. So you have a good standing force in Baradithal on the side of the mountain, but but uh, fairly easy for them to ex- to, uh, uh, to access Ardgowan from there so that they can respond quickly and, and, and head out there and counterattack and be able to return to, uh, to safety pretty quickly. Again, if you've got the castle way up at the top of the mountains or, or your castle is only inside the mountains and the, if they're running away from a foe on Ardgowan, they, you know, have to, they'll get caught in the passes by the foe potentially. So anyway, so those are the reasons why I have always pictured Baradaitho as being on the slopes of the mountains, but relatively, definitely very directly overlooking the plains. That's why I like the Reichenbach Falls. It's a little extreme, the Reichenbach Falls picture there, um, because it doesn't even look like there's like any kind of convenient road down from there, and I wouldn't want that. Again, you would want a way to march an army in and out. Um, but you don't want to make it easy for an enemy to be able to get in either. Um, I do think that there has got to be some good landscape for this in Iceland. Um, I was just in Iceland with my family back in April of 2019, and uh, that was one of the things that really struck me most about Iceland was the uh, the amazing flatland down at the bottom and the, you know, the massive mountains coming down. Um Three of the pictures on this slide are from Iceland. Yeah, exactly. No, I was I was recognizing uh, landscapes like this one on the top right here. Um, uh, looks uh, looks very Iceland there, um, and that's exactly the kind of thing that I think that we would want. There's so many. Um, I'm imagining not necessarily again like the Reichenbach Falls with the waterfall coming right out of it, um, but you know, so many of those. Um, awesome cliff sides in Iceland uh, where you've got like the little waterfalls, you know, dropping down, you know, 500 feet, um, you know, there on the side of the cliffs. Uh, 
that's what I would kind of picture Baradaithal kind of built out from the side of the mountain uh, and, um, you know, sort of a winding path leading down so that you, it would be easy uh, to defend some bridges that you could cut out after your army had gotten back to make it harder for the enemy to follow them up to the keep. Um, and um, um, but definitely a, a, a really wonderful vista of the of the plains down below them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Right. And Rhiannon is pointing out that Barad Aitho is right at the well of the river Syrian. So, yes, having a having a waterfall there would certainly a significant waterfall there would certainly work. Um, Hakan. Hi, Hakan. Good morning. Um, is reminding me that, um, th- of course, they have a lot of their horses, which have to be able to access the plane uh, so that they they you know, they could have their horses down on the plane. Yes, but there also has to be room inside Baradithal for them to retreat with their horses inside Baradithal. Um, so absolutely, there can be um, they can keep they can maintain their horses in general down on the plane at the foot of the uh, of the cliff. Um, but they would definitely need to be able to withdraw inside Baradithal horses and all. Um, as they, uh, if, if they were under attack there. And of course we would also want to emphasize there, there has to be a, a, a path back the other way, right? Um, there needs to be a pass from within Hithlam that would lead, uh, to Baradaitho as well. So if that could be sort of visible up behind, um, so that it would, Baradaitho would, be the one of its other functions would be would be defending that pass like that this is a way in which you can get into Hithlam, um but Baradaitho is preventing that from being easy for the enemy um but of course again it's it's a good place for people from inside Hithlam and of course for their army to be able to get through so yeah yeah definitely iceland um i can't think off the top of my head of a of a perfect location. I'm kind of imagining, um, there's, I just, when I was in Iceland, I was driving around, uh, you know, as so many people do down around the Southern part. Um, we didn't quite have enough time to do what my sons wanted to do, which was drive around the whole, uh, the whole ring road in Iceland. So we didn't get to see the Northern half of the Island. Um, but, uh, there's a whole bunch of different areas. There's like, uh, you know, parts of, um, parts of that, you know, southern, which is which is all beautiful grasslands below the cliffs, and then there's the part which looks more like you know a Martian landscape uh, below the cliffs, uh, and um, you know just like miles and miles of gray slag, uh, you know from the the more recent uh, volcanic eruptions and glacier runoff there, um, but um, but obviously, definitely the the green and lush version is what we would be looking for there. Cool. Yeah, I think it's okay, Hakan, to have a sort of a watchtower part and a settlement part, but I, I would be careful though because I, I don't think it's just a watchtower. I think it's, I think it would really be a full castle. I think that the majority of the because fo- remember also even thinking back to our plot, um, you know, one of our plot points um, with Anil and his people, right? How the the people of of Fingen and Fingolfin are very leery of... They're not going to let their guard down on Ardgallen, right? Um, so I, I wouldn't think we would have 
a settlement out, like a large settlement, permanent settlement, elves living outside the walls. Again, they're going to want the pasturage for their horses so that they would have their like horse ranches spread out at the base of the cliff makes perfect sense to me because they want to give their horses room to run and they want to take advantage of the grasslands to feed their horses. Um, But they, I don't think would live down there. They would live in the fortress. I think it really should be more of a, not just a watchtower, but really more of a, um, really more of a fortress. Um, and yeah, I, I, Brianna and I agree. If there's going to be a separate settlement, it could be right on the other side of the pass on the Western side. We could show that there's more of a, like a purely civilian settlement on the Western side of the pass. And you can go across the pass, um, which, you know, shouldn't be like, you know, like, uh, shouldn't need to be doing rock climbing to get over there. There should be a road, uh, right by which you can get to the fortress and the fortress can be primarily military in its, in its focus. But I really don't think there should be a large civilian population living on the plain of Ardgallen because that seems to, um, that seems to convey a somewhat less vigilant sense than I would, than I would expect from them. Um, so yeah, if there's a companion piece, that's what I, that's what I would think. Rihanna and I really like that idea. Yeah. And Hakan, you're right. The Icelandic, the Icelandic mountains are nice because they look like real mountains without being extremely high. Yeah. I kept, when we were climbing up, uh, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd go up a few trails and hike up and I would feel like, man, we must be like super, super high. And I'm like altitude of like 700 feet. And I'm like, really? It looks like we're a mile up above because it's so, it's so flat. And then it's, it just, you know, the, 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 the highlands and the mountains just leap up off the plain. Um, and that I think would be just a wonderful effect for Ardgallen and, uh, Arid Wethrin there. Um, uh, so yeah, that's definitely, definitely in favor of Icelandic, uh, scenes for Barad Eithel and, and that whole Ardgall and Arid Wethren situation there. Awesome. Awesome. So many good things here. All right. Tol Syrian. Okay. So we're looking at. The island. So we're thinking about the entire. We're thinking about Minas Tirith itself, and about the entire island here. Um, hmm. We decided, for the purposes of the plot, to have a drawbridge on the eastern side of the island. Okay. But not on the western side. Okay. So the western shore is pretty much just mountains down to the shoreline right? and not very accessible. But the Eastern shore is more of a plain and therefore that's what they're defending. Right. Right. That is, yes, that is uh, the direction that enemies will be much more likely to be coming from. Yeah. Okay. Um, Minas Tirith. So here's what I'm... uh, The question that is being pressed upon me by several of these pictures here. How purely military do we want Tulsirian to be? Um, You know, there's 
two of these pictures here, which are more um, hang on a second. Anyway, so the question I was asking about Tolsirian is how purely military it is. Because some of these um, some of these pictures, you know, I have more like sort of more castle or more cathedral, less castle, right? Um, and and I'm wondering, on the one hand, again, we could have Tuls, we could have Minas Tirith be a little bit more pretty and less practical in some ways, which again would make the Feanorians say, like, dude, do you need help? But then again, I mean, he names it the Tower of Guards, so you'd think it would be primarily military and even if pretty as well. Um, yeah, Finrod likes building things, so yeah. he's probably going to be practical as well as pretty in his aesthetic, I would assume. Yeah. I would but as you say, this is a tower of guard. It should be at least primarily having a military function. It's located in one of the most vulnerable points and therefore a strategic location right. in all of Valerian. Right. And, and of course, Finrod is well aware of that and has signed up for that. So he's, you know, setting out to defend this place. Um, yeah. But of course, at the same time, we also know it's going to fall. Right. Um, that's going to be fun. Right. Really- one of the stories I'm really looking forward to, actually, is the fall of Minas Tirith. Um, uh, but anyway, okay. I am thinking that one of the differences between Minas Tirith and, like, Himring, for instance, is going to be that the primary... Minas Tirith is going to be relying much more on its geography. That is, the fact that the island that it is on is is almost inaccessible, right? Um, there will be walls, but I'm not sure I see that one on the bottom left, that's that's a Ted Naismith, right? Is that a Ted Naismith? No, it's not a Ted Naismith. Is that a is that a is that a John Howe? It's I I have to imagine it's either John Howe, Alan Lee, or Ted Naismith, but pretty, I don't actually, know. Actually, I don't, I don't think it's Naismith. It doesn't it doesn't yeah. quite look like Naismith architecture. Um, but in any case, whoever did that one in the bottom left, um, I don't like it. <laughs> what I don't like about it is that it's a lot of wall, right? It's a lot of wall, um, and that's not how I'm picturing this. I'm picturing this as um, it has walls, but he is going to be relying much more on the fact that um, on the natural defenses of the island in the middle of the river, on on the on the river itself, um, and on the um, you know. So it, it should be, I think, a fairly. Not like the carrick sticking up out of the out of the 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 river or anything, um, but like the so the uh, the island in the top left, where's that? 
I don't know. Um, I'm not sure who posted okay. that. Let me. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. But I don't like that island. I mean, the, it's like the size of the island is a good size, but I don't like the topography of that island. It's too gentle, right? It's got these like, you know, green rolling, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, not fields, exactly, lawns, right? Sweeping down to the river. I would not want the island to be like that. I like better the topography of the island in the bottom right picture. That looks to me a little bit more like the kind of island that he would be building on here. Um, so a craggier island in the middle. Um, uh, and possibly, you know, with the walls going right down to the edge. Um, but the fortress itself doesn't necessarily have to be like walls within walls within walls. Um, Himring, you should look at and say... Boy, that um, uh, that's not going anywhere, right? Nobody could possibly take that fortress is completely impregnable. Um, the one, uh, the okay, so that's an Alan Lee. So I was wrong all the way around. Uh, that is an Alan Lee from the Baron and Luthien book. Um, the uh, uh, I I think that Minas Tirith instead of looking like a super imposing, you know, concentric defensive structure should be this bastion on this rocky island that looks almost impossible to get into. But, like, if you could get into it, you could take it. Because, um, again, I, I kind of want there to be... Again, not for it to look weak, because it shouldn't look weak. It shouldn't be weak. Um... It should be imposing in the sense of like it's again like you know it's got the you know the the river and this is what I like most about Catherine's picture the way that the river is running all around it and even through it there, um, and I, I like the little waterfall right right next to it there, um, in you know in that again just making like another angle from which you could not possibly approach uh, Minas Tirith, um, so it. It's yeah, it's it's very difficult to get to, and you've got its walls, you know, all around it there. But if you were in, if you got into the island across the river and you got into the walls, then you're almost home free at that point. Um, that's kind of how I'm picturing Minas Tirith. Does that make sense? Yes, I think that relying on the geography of the island and the river should be the point of that. So. And that's what I dislike about the Alan Lee picture. I mean, it's a beautiful picture, but um, what I did, I mean, he has this like huge, huge towers and structures. I mean, the walls are, you know, like a hundred feet up above the, the, the river and stuff. And I, that, I think that's too much. I think it's too much. Yeah. And obviously there needs to be a bridge. Um, yeah. If we, decided it was a drawbridge, then once you take the drawbridge up, it's much harder to get to that island. Especially if it's the middle of a rapids section yes. of the river. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, it should be that when I say that it's relying mostly upon its geographical position, I mean that his reliance upon that geographical position should be well justified, right? Like it's it's he's totally right uh, to trust in the geography of that. Um, 
but the fortress itself should be less impressive than Himring. Um, Himring should be just like defensive redundancy upon defensive redundancy, like, you know, four different levels of, like, impregnable walls that you could... But if somebody did get inside those three, there's still another set of walls. Um, whereas I, I I don't think that's the way that Minas Tirith should be. So, yeah, Himring is more like Helm's Deep that way, and yes. it's just hard to get to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Good stuff there. All right. Um, okay, the gates of Syrian. All right. Um, hmm. Yeah. So the gates of Syrian, of course, where Syrian emerges. Uh, biggest problem with most of these, the non-Ted Naismith. Um, images is they're all coming from the top, right? Um, yeah. Well, in reality, it's difficult to find rivers yeah. that actually pop out of cliffside faces like that. Exactly. This doesn't happen very often. Um, and when it does, it tends to be a flat river more than a waterfall effect. So yes. the point of the Gates of Syrian was to have it be. Um, Whitewater, you know, bursting forth from the mountainside kind of thing. Yes, definitely. Which required a, a waterfall image. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And uh, I um, I think so for the falls of Syrian themselves, um, for the falls of Syrian, I'm thinking... Uh, Something like the 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 high foss there in Iceland is awesome. Um, you know the idea that like the falls, they come driving down and then the the river just disappears right in the water. Like the the it's got to be a fairly high fall or else it's not going to do that right. I mean it's not going to force the river into a subterranean course if it's just a a gentle little waterfall right. So it can't be a mere canyon. That uh, that leads to that. Um, yeah, hard to beat Iceland for waterfalls. That was definitely um, um, that was definitely another thing. So yeah, as for the gates, we might have to CGI the gates. Yeah, I would assume that there'd be artwork involved in one way or another. Um, yeah. I mean, it, basically, we would just need a good cliff face and then a good uh, piece of white water, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then combine the two. Yeah. Um, I think I think we'd have to. I think we'd have to rely on CGI in order to make the the gates of Syrian look like they're supposed to look. Either that, or a very clever camera angle where you have a canyon and you have a river that comes around the corner, but it looks like it's coming out of the wall of the canyon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's probably a if you only film it from one angle, a place where you could find that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, I, I like the Chinese waterfall there in the bottom left-hand corner. The only problem is you can see through it to the far side because it doesn't go that far underground, right? Yeah, maybe not that angle, but you know that yeah. waterfall from a slightly different angle would look like. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's definitely the closest to the idea uh, of the gates. Yeah, the um, the whole the whole idea of the gates of Syrian are a little. It's a little bit peculiar. Like I, I've never, I've never understood like the point of the the falls of Syrian and the gates of Syrian. Like, why did Tolkien have Syrian go underground for some time and then pop out again? I, I just, I've, I feel like I've never really understood the function of those, like narratively, mythically. Uh, it's such a peculiar and of course strongly emphasized in his description of the of of Beleriand, you know, I mean he spends some time describing the course of the river Syrian and and talking about that. Um I you know what I'm asking is, you know, what what I'm what I'm it's 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 not that I'm saying I I don't know why Tolkien thought of that or how Tolkien thought of that. I'm just saying I don't understand the point of them. I don't, I don't understand their function. Maybe someday I will, but I don't understand them right now. Um, the Because it never plays a big part really in the um, in the Nothing narrative. in particular happens there. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm, is what makes it different from, say, the Pools of Ivrin, which right. have a very clear narrative significance. Exactly. And we get a similar kind of underground way right in the tour story as he's going down to Vinyamar, but that's not here, you know? Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's strange the way that he, the kind of detail that he gives to this really quite unusual geographical feature, um, of Beleriand, which never really plays a role in the story. As you say, the, Pools of Ivrin are very important, and both their narrative and their mythic significance is is both much clearer and much more prominent. Um, but um, anyway, uh, I um, just sorry, just a little sidelight. As I say, I feel like I've never really gotten yeah, we, the gates of Syrian. We sent. Um, <clears throat> Finrod and Turgon on a trip down the River Syrian for their dream mm-hmm. event. Right. So we we do have them at the Gate to Syrian. Right. At, related to that, so we tried to pull the so dream into it. Yeah. 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 But it's true that Tolkien did not set the dream in that location. Right. Right. So. But uh, but no, I I like that. I mean, we might might as well use it as a nice backdrop, right? And. It works really well there, right? I mean, the idea of, you know, with, um, you know, the River Syrian being, you know, sort of a special, you know, special to Olmo, right? The place where Olmo's river bursts forth from the ground is a place which does suggest, you know, mythically suggests itself as a, a place where their, where their visions emerge, right? And where they're taken by their visions. I, I like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. So, by all means, let us create some uh, uh, mythic significance <laughs> to uh, to this. Okay, cool. Brithumbar and Eglarest. So we these, of course, are the uh, the havens of Cirdan the Shipwright. 
All right. Um, all right, we've got Harangil's map. All right, so because there's two separate havens, the hope mm -hmm. was that we could differentiate them. Right. And um, having one have maybe significant cliffs and the other one being marked by the um, protected harbor with the long um, arm going out to form a bay. Yeah. So I think that was Eglarest. I hope it was. Yes, it is. There's a tiny <laughs> little label okay. at the bottom. Okay. Yeah. I was like, which one? Yeah. So the idea was that, yeah, Eglarest would be uh, flatter mm -hmm. visually, and um, then Brithambar could have um, a little bit more cliffside going on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, of course, I mean, it still has to be. It, it, it can be cliffside, but it has to be readily accessible to the sea. I mean, there has to be... Both of these are harbors, obviously. Yeah, yeah, clearly. Um, so are you imagining Brithambar, like, sweeping up into the cliffs or sort of perched on the cliffs with, like, paths and stairs down to the uh, to the harbor below? I think the idea was that it would be all up and down the cliffside. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I don't think the idea was that it would be completely separated from the harbor because, yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> it's the point, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. The, these elves are very attached to their ships. They wouldn't get very <laughs> yeah. far away from them. <laughs> the city is totally secondary to the ships, right? I mean, that's, right. that's, yeah, let's not get, let's not, uh, let's not, not lose sight of things there. So yeah, no, I yeah. absolutely, I absolutely. So, so yes, yeah. at least uh, easy access via, stairs if there is stuff on top of the cliff yeah yeah which is one of the i mean so i'm i'm looking at um i mean i really like the uh the image of bonifacio and corsica there um but that's a little bit too like separated from the water right like those the folks who live in those buildings right along the edge of that cliff um though I, i'm sure they have wonderful views they they i mean they'd have to like rappel down to boats Right. And they look like they're much too invested in their houses and too little invested in the ocean beneath. So I would definitely want something to be a little bit more, uh, more accessible there. Um, but I, I know you guys were mentioning also that, of course, these are the reconstructed havens of Brithambar and Eglarest, which were destroyed last season. Um, so they're certainly going to be more defensible. They will have built walls around them uh, to protect them more from the land side. Because they had they were built when they were not anticipating attack at all, really. Right. So this is the second version of the yeah. cities, and it's uh, you know, a different step along. Yeah. Yeah. You know what would be kind of cool, actually, for Brithambar is... Um, I mean, Eglarest could be could be walled with so like looking at the map there um i mean if eglarest is got like cliffs around up behind it right so that um it's really hard to get at this city from any direction other than the i mean th there should be like no roads to eglarest like you just you don't you you don't just walk into eglarest right you're like you have to take a boat it's the only way to get to eglarest um uh because you know, Cairdon and his people would totally think that way. I mean, it can be around an inlet river that goes in, so you can sail upriver a ways, and up there, then there's a road, 
right, that you can get to. So if you're, you know, headed out from there to go up to Doriath, say, um, you know, there's a there's a means to do it, but there's no street that, you know, there's no road that you can walk all the way into Eglarest. You have to take a boat to get there. Um, and I, 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 I think, I think that'd be pretty cool. Brithumbar, what if, um, like the old city of Brithumbar that was destroyed was sort of down on the flats, right? But like up in the hills above it, up on the cliffs above it, they have, they have built their new, uh, their new city on the cliffs in order to make them less accessible. So they're, they're nearby, but they're not just rebuilding on the same spot. Um, Right, to see a change. Yeah, yeah, yeah to show it. So it's not just a change in like, we're going to rebuild our city, but this time a wall, right? Like, I mean, it, it, instead of just doing that to show them saying like, okay, no, we realize we need to protect ourselves. But they're still, I mean, they're not Fanorians, you know, like they're not going to be all about like, uh, you know, um, yeah, concentric fortifications. They're going to be about thinking a little bit more cunningly about where they place the havens. They're still, the focus is still the havens for the ships. Um, but they, they, they want to make sure that you can't just walk into them anymore. But cool. I, I really, this is my favorite of Harangil's map so far. I really like this Eglarest picture that the way it's divided by the inlet, I think is really, really cool. And, uh, the ability to have what I assume is a lighthouse on this point there. That's really neat. Yes, that. yeah, that that's meant to be a lighthouse yeah. um, and a tower. I yeah. it might be Barad Nimrus. I forget if that's where Barad Nimrus is. If so, that's what it is. If not, it's just a lighthouse. <laughs> right, right. No, that's great. I, I I like that a lot. Cool. All right, Vinyamar. So we've got a couple different Vinyamar slides. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Looking at Harangil's map here, um, we have he's a, so he's imagining a city up on several different levels. So there's the, there's there's the point right where the coast comes in, and then the river curves in, and there's a very hilly place up behind it. And so you've got the city sort of perching up on this point, overlooking the sea and overlooking the river. Yes. Yes, um, he wanted to incorporate the um, rocky cliffs into mm -hmm. the city, mm -hmm. so that the city would be built on and around and in the the um, changing elevation there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, so it would be like a mini terraced city there. Um, that's very cool. Um, I love this picture of the swallow's nest in the Crimea, but. Um, this looks a little too stark. I'm thinking, because uh, I'm thinking Vinyamar, Turgon is going to go. Turgon City is going to be a little bit less um, starkly defensive and more pretty, right? That's what I'm. Right. It, it's meant to reflect Tyrion in a way that Gondolin will also. Do yes. so. Yes. It should look pretty. <laughs> it should definitely be pretty. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, excellent. 
let's look at the 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 so the other the other question was the the throne room right um right so these are these are different sketches by uh by Catherine here yes yes you had requested a th- throne room that looked out over the sea and mm-hmm. um incorporating Karangel's idea of it being built into the cliff then the question is what height in the cliff with the throne room be at. And uh, she's given you a few options there to consider. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking pretty high. Um, it doesn't have to be the highest point of the city, especially. So, I mean, I guess we could do going back to the other one for a second, depending on how we did the cliffs, right? The, you could have the water and then the cliffs rising sharply up. And then kind of sloping down so that as you came around on the riverside, you would see the the terraces of the city coming down to the river. But from the ocean side, you would see the steep cliffs and then, you know, Turgon's main fortress up at the top with his throne room balcony sort of looking out over the cliff that goes all the way down to the sea. That would be one way uh, of doing it. The other would be to have it, you know, the sea comes in and there's a cliff, but, you know, then there's it sort of shelves up from the ocean side, in which case Turgon's, you know, palace would not be the highest point. It would be the first thing there, like on the first terrace, you know, above the cliff facing the ocean. Um, But then you would be able to see the terraces of the city rising up behind it, basically. Um, And I think either one of those would work. Um, I think in either case, the approach to the city should definitely be from the riverside. Like there, there shouldn't be the if you're coming in from the west, right from the sea, coming straight in at Vinyamar, you should see cliffs and a city up on top, right? And the access points are if you sail around and enter the river. Um, uh, but. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of Turgon's, um, uh, of Turgon's palace not being, um, not being the highest point necessarily in the city in Vinyamar. Um, it's the one that is first, that is right next, that's closest to the sea. He's, he should definitely be his palace should definitely be the most westerly point um, of everybody. Like, basically, Turgon's house is further west than anybody's house in Middle-earth, essentially. Um, uh, so it's a different way of defining prime real estate here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He's not going to want to be... So, yeah, so in that way, actually, uh, I think that having it be on the lower terraces of the city... Um, with this, with the rest of the city rising up behind it, does really kind of convey what he's prioritizing, right? Um, so that I mean, it's obviously Turgon's palace. It's it can be the grandest um, uh, uh, place, and of course, even from a defensive standpoint, it would still be because you're approaching the city from the other side. So you've got to get through the entire city to get to Turgon's palace. So you know, it, it's uh, it makes perfect sense for him to do it that way too. But, um, um, but yeah, I definitely like the idea. The more I think about it, the more I like it. So there should be cliff, but a level of cliff, like I'm thinking from the balcony, 
on the edge of his uh, throne room. So like from this balcony here in this upper right hand uh, picture of Catherine's there, the drop down to the water would be tens of feet, not hundreds of feet. Like I could imagine maybe like a, at most 50 foot drop from the balcony down to the water. And the water would be breaking on the rocks in the cliffside down there. Oh, I like this picture of the Marath Adarthad. So we've got uh, lots of little, um, lots of little islands. I can I can see different islands in the river being occupied. Right, that would be really cool. If if Vinyamar were on this craggy, um, you know, little promontory up against the sea and where the river comes in on the other side of the river from the city can be a more gentle slope, right? Can be more, more gentle land. Um, so I like the idea of the Marath Adarthad being like having all the outdoor fields of the Marath Adarthad set, set up over there on the other side of the river. And of course the, you know, temporary structures that people are living in for like the 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 long period of time in which the marathon thought is happening would all go up over there but i like that image of there being lots of little islands uh in the you know in the mouth of the river there which would get occupied uh during the marathon thought i think that's really cool i i i like that image a lot and yes um uh, Elenway being carved into the mountainside is good. I like that a lot. She's not just a statue that, which has been brought in like a, you know, as if a large block of marble or something were brought into the throne room and he carves it there, that she's carved out of the mountain um, uh, looking out over the sea to the west. Yeah, that's just how I would think there. Yeah. Yeah, good. Hey, excellent. Rihanna is saying it's just how it works in episodes nine. Turgon is trying to prevent the orcs from getting down to the throne room where Idril is. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Glad we're on the same page there. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. The upper left image is if you wanted it really lower down, right, right on the water, you could actually have boats come in. But uh, Catherine did admit that that was a less practical choice and she wouldn't be terribly offended if you you know didn't go for it. <laughs> Yeah, well, tides would mess with that, for one thing. Uh, and uh, and anyway, I think I, uh, something a little bit more, um, you know, if uh, if the swallow's nest image is too stark for me, the Venetian version is not quite stark enough, right? I definitely want I definitely want cliffs and waves breaking on uh, breaking on cliffs and rocks uh, right around Vinumar there. Um, so, yes, the gentle Venetian throne room is a really cool idea. Uh, and I am totally not opposed to somebody having a throne room like this. Um, but, um, in fact, I'm not even opposed to the idea of Turgon having a throne room like this. What if his throne room in Vinyamar had water? In it, right? I mean, water, of course, is a major thing with Gondolin. In Gondolin, yeah, the whole name of it, right? And we know that there, are, there's, you know, a lot of water that wells up right there in in Tumladen. Um, you know, what if, uh, 
you know, uh, some like canals that are made out of the, the, the rivers as they, as they well up there, uh, on the hill were made into, uh, a, a kind of a water feature thing like this. That would be kind of fun. So Turgon's going to build the Hanging Gardens of Babylon in his... Or something. You know, I mean, okay. if there's going to be okay. the Hanging Gardens of Babylon somewhere in Balerian, they'd be in Gondolin, right? Fair enough. Yeah. I'm sure the uh, Noldor can figure out how to get water to that height. Yeah, Probably well, not I a mean, problem. I'm, I'm thinking that some of it's going to... Some of it's going to... Well, okay, hang on. Advancing to the next slide, since we're already talking about Gondolin... Um, you can see I'm not alone in thinking this. Uh, <clears throat> Ted Naismith's Gondolin image, which, by the way, is one of my favorite pieces of Tolkien art, period. I, this is one of my favorite, not only one of my favorite Ted Naismiths, this is one of my favorite of all time. I just absolutely love this Gondolin picture. In fact, that Gondolin picture is my computer desktop image on my screen right there. Um, so I love that picture. Uh, and that, that picture really has always captured for me Gondolin. What I like about that, for instance, um, I, I, I'm, I'm really interested in Gondolin here. I love when you look down on it, seeing it a little bit more closely, as we see in this bottom right-hand image. Um, you can see all the green, right? And I really like that. And, and, and the expanse of water here is really interesting. But um, the thing that I like better, about you know, Ted's picture here has more room for agriculture. Like we can actually support the population of Gondolin, uh, by agriculture in the, in the veil here. Um, which is, which is really cool. But again, you'll notice that, uh, Ted here, and also this map on the upper right hand corner, um, all have water coming up in the city, right? Like, you know, he's got waterfalls coming down off the sides of, uh, of, uh, um, I'm, I'm there. certainly comfortable with artesian wells existing artesian in this location. Wells, yeah, absolutely. There, there should be several of them. Um, wells and fountains have to be a thing in Gondolin, right? I mean, that's that's definitely. Uh, but see here, and again, I, 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 again, I admit, since this Naismith picture is just one of my all-time favorites, um, I love his vision of the palace of Turgon and the tower here in the middle of the city. Um, and what I like here is the difference between the Turgon's palace here in Gondolin and Turgon's palace in Vinyamar, right? Um, there's a, there's a little bit of humility in having his palace on one of the lower tiers of the city, right? You know, he's not in that like, I am the master of all I survey, right? He's not doing that. In Vinyamar, he's looking west across the sea, right? Uh, his palace practically has its back to the city, right? Whereas in Gondolin, him being in the center of the city and him now definitely being the highest point in his big tower, right? And he's now looking down on, on Gondolin and his whole little realm here, right? And it seems to speak to bespeak a, a change in Turgon's own um, perspective, right? In Turgon's own mindset, which I think is kind of going in a really uh, fruitful direction uh, for the development of Turgon's character there. It's kind of a... It, but it's a pretty understated way of communicating that, right? To just sort of... Sh the difference in how his palace is situated in relationship to the rest of the city. 
Yeah. Okay. Cool. But yes, all of the water in, in Tumladen doesn't need to emerge from Amangwarath. I mean, there, certainly some is going to be descending from the other mountains and everything, but I think there, de- there really should be artesian wells, uh, so there can be lots of fountains uh, and uh, running water. And, that, and when I say canals, I don't mean like the whole thing is navigable by canal in Gondolin, but there should definitely be not only pools of what, but like channels of water, um, uh, that, uh, that people do sometimes, you know, travel on to get from one side of the city to another. Um, you know, they have channeled, you know, so there are artesian wells that, you know, that come, you know, so some of the, some of the well springs of some of the rivers of, of Gondolin come up through Amangwarath and then descend off to the side and they've, yeah, they've, they've, they've shaped them and channeled them and, uh, and everything so that they make nice, beautiful little canals in parts of the city. I think that'd be really cool. Okay. Loving Gondolin. Okay. This is uh, a Harangil map of Gondolin, right? Individual villas with greenery and fountains. Absolutely. Absolutely not. So, so not so much like city streets. Exactly. Uh, exactly. He didn't yeah. want to lay it out like a typical city. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But then you've got the higher rings and, and, and you've got Turgon's tower. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, so we're seeing a flattened, but it's actually 3d. In other words, it's going up, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing it from the yeah. top, but yes, Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yep, and I see that he's imagining several prominent water features and rivers coming off of it as well. So, yep. Cool. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. So there will be sort of paths and 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 streets connecting different, um, you know, one villa to another. Um, but uh, but not, yeah, not like streets and intersections and things lined by houses or whatever. Yeah. Right. Not, not a very urban feel. Right. Definitely not urban. Yeah. Cool. I like that. I like that. All right. The River Narag. I really like that image of the Yangtze River. Um, that, you know, Nargothrond is... You know, it really does need to be in a gorge. Um, but I really like that, you know, a green gorge, right? Not a canyon, exactly. Not a, um, you know, not just a stone canyon. Um, but, uh, yes, a green and growing gorge like that looks like, looks like just the thing. One can easily imagine a uh, a a you know a cave system boring into one of the cliffs off of off of there. Very cool. I like that a lot. Nice. Okay, the entrance of Nargothrond. So the image on the left is Tolkien's sketch or mm-hmm. drawing, and um, the 
concern was that it's not a very secretive entrance the way no. he drew it. Yeah. So, um, well, nobody wanted to just like ignore that image. It, it, there was a desire to maybe rethink the layout of the river or the layout of the entrance or the caves to uh, modify it a little bit. And um, Rhiannon's suggestion was to create a tunnel for the entrance. So there'd be archways that are more like natural stone yeah. and there'd be trees in front of those archways. So everything's very concealed, but it, once you go into the tunnel, then you would see the the three arched um, entranceways into Nargothrond. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Good. Um, excellent. Um, goodness, I'm... Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Oh, good. Okay. Sorry, I see. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, yes. I'm having... Uh, my webcam is images hanging up here. All kinds of issues I'm having here. Um, but as long as you can still hear me, I will proceed. Maybe it will catch up with things again here. Okay. Um, anyway, so... Here's my thought about like thinking of that Tolkien. I, I I really like this idea of a a more natural cave entrance. Um, if we were to take even Tolkien's gates there and move them down from the top of the cliff to into the face of the cliff, I would like it much better. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, the idea is that Nargothrond is concealed because they guard the entire area around it so no one can get in anywhere nearby to even see the entrance. Yes. But if your whole point is secrecy, why would you put giant doors on top of a cliff? Right. In plain view from quite a distance away. Yes, exactly. If they were down, so if they were down on the face of the cliff along the river, and there is that kind of narrow bank there, right? So it is possible to get there on foot. Um and not just across the river. And the river's pretty rough there, so it's not really very readily navigable by boat or anything. And the river is winding enough so that you can't see the the cliff face that has the doors in it. You wouldn't be able to see from very far up or down the river. You'd have to go down there, and it's possible to go down there on foot, but there's, like, no reason for you to go down there exactly, you know? If you didn't know it was there... Um, that's kind of the way that I imagine Nargothrond being like, if you're standing on the bank of the river next to the entrance, it would be visible, right? But like the, the cliffs on, on the other side of the river can also, you know, should also be cliffs that are hard, to, you know, that's hard to access the tops of them so that you couldn't get to the other side of the river and look down at the gates either. Um, so yeah, it should just be, you know, not, not, like concealed exactly, just hard to access. Right. It's, it's clearly not as secretive as the secret way into Goblin. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. But I, 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 I like Rhiannon's design, the, the arches and the trees. That's really nice. Um, so it would be clear that there is an opening there. I mean, like, if you did work your way down there, you'd be able to see that there's an opening. But even there, it wouldn't necessarily look like uh, 
the entrance to an elvish stronghold exactly but the idea of then going through a tunnel and then having gates inside strong gates inside the tunnel um, uh, that seems like a very sensible compromise excellent excellent okay um, well I think that that brings us to the end of our sets and uh, uh, our sets and um, locations locations that's the other word I was looking for um, and I, I just should... want to say everybody did such a lot of work on this I'm really blown away yeah this it's really is, good I, 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 I love the maps I love uh, this opportunity to kind of picture some of these things more and, and everybody did a wonderful job and really helping us do that. Many thanks to, um, to everybody who contributed to this, a special, special thanks to, uh, to Catherine and Harangil for their, for their maps and, and, and drawings, uh, to Rhiannon and Hakan and, and, uh, uh, and, uh, Marie for all the different, um, uh, the, the, different contributions that you guys have made, uh, pictures that you found and, and, and concepts that you, uh, put forward and stuff. Really great work. Thanks everybody. Um, all right. So next time we're doing music. So our next session is going to be two weeks from tonight, Thursday, uh, on January 16th at our normal time, 10 PM Eastern. Uh, and we're going to be discussing the soundtrack. Um, so uh, go to Philip, go uh, search YouTube for Philip Menzies and you'll find his film film work and uh, you can listen to his season four tracks in advance and we'll be discussing them with Philip uh, in our next session in two weeks. So uh, thanks everybody for joining us and we'll see you guys again soon. And I will say thanks for listening and Godspeed. <laughs>